0: All right. Well, I have the unfortunate job tonight of preaching directly after Apostle Young here. So you guys are going to have to be merciful to me. Thank you for bringing the word to us. Thank you for bringing the powerful word to us, Pastor Young. As he said, not only that we have the same father, but there's only one bride. Come on! Alright, so there's many denominations, many churches, but one bride. Amen? Oh, yeah. Jesus is not polygamous. Oh, right? Jesus does not have multiple wives. Oh, yeah. One bride. I want to thank Pastor Eric and Greater Love Church of God in Christ for inviting me here tonight. And for inviting the people of inspiration to hosting this event with very high Night. I've known Pastor Eric now for a few years, and uh, we served together on the Citizens Advisory Committee for the Greater French Town and Southside CRA, where Pastor Eric is our chairman. <laughs> and uh, one thing that I've grown to appreciate about Pastor Eric is he's got this unique combination of chill and fiery. You know what I'm talking about. So sometimes he just chill, he'll let other people talk, you let the meeting go on, he's not too worried about the structure, but then somebody starts saying something crazy, <laughs> some matter of justice arises, somebody starts being rude, and then you see Pastor Eric's fiery son. I, I, like, I like his fiery son. And since he's your preacher, I figure you get to see that a lot. All right, please join me in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray to you, our one God and Father. Lord Jesus, we pray to you, our one bridegroom. Holy Spirit, we worship you in this place. We all received, as Paul says, one spirit. We pray that you would anoint us all with fire from on high. As we look at your word this evening, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, as was pointed out earlier, we have the same passage tonight, Acts 17, and I'm going to ask you to turn there in a minute, but before you do, I want to make an observation about our culture. I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a culture that thinks that grace and truth cannot be reconciled with one another. Okay. Right? We live in a culture that's convinced that grace and truth stand opposed to one another. Amen? Amen. Now, of course, for a Christian, the truth is the truth. It's not just what we think is true, right? right? The truth is what really is. What really is in reality. So the truth is unchangeable. But in this culture, people have been deceived into thinking that in order to be gracious be kind to people, to be tolerant of our differences, that somehow means we have to abandon the truth. Yeah, gotcha. You've seen this in our culture? Now, tolerance is actually a good thing. It's not the only thing, it's not the highest thing, but it's a good thing in its place, amen? amen. But tolerance doesn't mean pretending we be- we agree with everybody else, right. Okay, yeah, that's right. Tolerance doesn't mean affirming everybody's behavior, even if it's unbiblical and selfish and ungodly. That's right that's right. That's, right? that's right. that's right? So if you think about it, tolerance actually assumes difference. Right? Otherwise, what are you tolerating? Right? So tolerance assumes difference, but it assumes that we can disagree graciously. Right? We can live with one another alongside of people who think differently. See, our culture thinks grace and truth stand opposed to one another. But brothers and sisters, this is not in keeping with the gospel. Because the gospel says that Jesus came down from heaven and was full of what? Grace Grace and
1: and and
0: truth. That's right. So if grace and truth lived in harmony... In our Savior Jesus Christ, then they should be living in harmony in the people that bear his name. Amen. 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 Now, there are some white Christians who seem to think that just because somebody cares about racial reconciliation and multi ethnic ministry and all these kinds of things, well, they must just be a bleeding heart liberal and soft on the truth. But this is a false dichotomy that's created by the media, not the Bible. In the Bible, a passion for justice is always wedded to a passion for the truth. And the grace of Jesus Christ is always wedded to a commitment to affirm what's really true. Amen? Amen. This is the gospel that Paul went to Athens to preach a gospel of grace and truth. We're going to look at both these things tonight. Please turn with me there to Acts 17. I'm going to be using the ESV translation. If you have your own translation, that's alright. The first thing that we see is that the gospel is a message of truth. Of unchangeable truth. Of absolute truth. Of truth that's not relative to circumstance or culturally bound. And for that reason, here's the thing. For that reason, because the gospel is absolute truth, it's able to be truth for everyone. Right? Because the gospel is absolute truth, it's never culturally or geographically or racially bound. This is absolute truth for all people. Let's take a moment to wrap our minds around this interesting historical situation in this passage in Acts 17. Let's look at the man and the city, alright? As far as the man, we have the Apostle Paul, that great missionary of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul might have been the greatest missionary that ever lived. And he wrote a large portion of the New Testament, though he was formerly a persecutor, formerly an intolerant man. Really, in Paul's former life, he was what we would probably call today a terrorist. You know that? The Apostle Paul was a terrorist until Jesus got a hold of him. Amen? Amen. And we read about that story in Acts chapter 9. And we should be praying for these terrorists in the Middle East, for God to make them into apostles. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then here in Acts 15, we find this man, Jewish by birth, in the very Gentile context of Athens, the most famous city of the ancient world. Now Athens was the leading Greek city-state since the 5th century BC, it's the birthplace of democracy, it's the city of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and all these smart philosophers, and even after its incorporation into the Roman Empire, it remained a cultural and intellectual hotspot. Everybody in the Roman Empire knew about Athens. And when Paul spoke to the crowds in Athens, he would have been with an eye shot of Mars Hill. He would have been an eye shot of the Parthenon, some of the greatest artistic and architectural wonders in the world. And Paul was not an uncultured or small-minded man. He would have noticed the beauty and the impressiveness of it all. But as Paul walked around that great city, his mind was not on the artistic wonders, was it? What Paul simply could not get over, could not get past, was that the city was full of idols. Verse 16 says, Now when Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So here's this great man wandering around the birthplace of Western civilization and rather than being stunned by its beauty, he is provoked by its idolatry. And I wonder how we respond to the environment that we are living in. We live in this great, modern, Western superpower. And do we allow ourselves to be bewitched by the culture around us, by its promises of prosperity, to be rich and comfortable, just as rich and comfortable as everyone else? That's what we really want. Or are we provoked by its idolatry? Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. What are we mourning about? We're mourning about the idols around us. That people are worshipping things that aren't God. That people are putting their ultimate hope in things that do not satisfy. And in our compassion, we mourn for them. We're provoked. Now we might wonder, what does that mean? What does it mean that Paul's spirit was provoked within him? Well, it's interesting that the original Greek word that's used here was also used in the Septuagint. It's the oldest translation of the Greek Bible for the way that God reacts to idolatry among his people. So in the the whole scene with the golden calf, it says that God was provoked to anger and jealousy because of what his people had done by creating this calf. So the city of Athens had hundreds of idols. They had images and shrines made to Apollo, Jupiter, Venus, Bacchus, Diana, Neptune, and more. And according to a Roman writer at that time, this is what he said. He said, it's easier to find a god in Athens than than it is to find a man. (laughs) I'm saying this city was full of idols. One translation says that the city was under idols. In a first century Jew like Paul, who had believed in one God, one invisible God in his spirit, his whole life, who had grown up saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right. Who had known from his childhood, from the scriptures, and from reason, that there is only one God. This whole pagan enterprise must have looked crazy to him. Absurd to him, sad to him, it provoked him. So Paul tells him in verse 29, Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being... He's trying to explain it to him. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. In other words, if we're the offspring of God... We should not be deceived into thinking that God is somehow the offspring of us. We can't create gods with our arts and our gold and our stones. We have it backwards, Paul is telling them. Because God is the one who created us. Amen, all of us. And just as a stream can't rise higher than the river that it flows from, so it is absurd, so it is blasphemous to worship a God that we've made with our own hands. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Paul goes on to say in verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, he says, say, but now, yeah. he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. Thank you, by a man whom he has appointed. Paul is saying that the message of repentance that he's preaching to them is a universal message. Absolute truth. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Greek, male or female, slave or free, black or white, Latino or East Asian. God is calling all people everywhere to repent and we will stand before the same unbiased judge. We don't just have the same king. We have the same judge. We don't just have the same spirit. We have the same judge. The one and only creator of the world. And he. We will stand before him. We'll have to give an account of our idols. Amen. Amen. Our idols might not look like gold and silver and stones. We'll have to give an account for what they are. Woe to us on that day. Amen. Woe to us. If we don't have Jesus Christ. As our advocate and savior. If we don't have Jesus' to for us, woe for us on that day. A few years back, I built a relationship with a Muslim man from Egypt named Ismail. And we met together for 10 months, and we studied the Quran and studied the Bible. All right, so he wanted to show me what he believed about the Quran, I wanted to show him what I believed about the Bible. And we built a friendship over time, and I remember he said to me early on, he said, Taylor, I want you to know, I'm not trying to convert you, and, uh, and I told him, I appreciate that. I said, but I want you to know up front that I am trying to convert you. And his eyes got real big. And I said, because the scriptures say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And I said, I would not be your friend. I would be unloving if I didn't share the message of salvation through Jesus Christ with you. And after I said that, Ismail said, Well, yes, I'm trying to convert you too. And I said, Nope, too late. And we laughed, but it's serious. Ismail and others will not be saved on the last day because of their ignorance. The Bible said the times of ignorance God overlooked, but He commands all people everywhere to repent. This is true not only for Muslims who reject Jesus as the Son of God, they reject His sin atoning crucifixion. It's also true for those who worship the idols of our culture money, sex, and power. The gospel is absolute and unchangeable truth. And Paul wasn't going to adjust it for this pagan audience. He wasn't going to say, oh, these statues, they're really beautiful. So maybe you've got something going for you. That would have actually been unloving. Amen? However, just because the gospel is true doesn't mean we can be jerks about it. Amen? Amen. (laughs) It doesn't mean we can be jerks about it. It doesn't mean we should be standing on the street corner shouting at people, telling them they're going to hell. That's not how Paul did evangelism. Notice the courteous way that Paul addresses them when he starts his address in verse 22. He says, "Men of Athens," so is that the ESV. "Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious." See, he's trying to he's trying to affirm them in any way that he can. Right? He's trying to establish some kind of common ground. He sees the image of God in them. So for the sake of connecting with his audience, he uses their altar to an unknown God as his starting place for his sermon. And then in verse 28, he quotes from some of their own poets and philosophers. He's been reading their people. (laughs) I hope that when it comes to being a witness for Christ, we'll learn this lesson from Paul. It's not helpful to condemn people not helpful to whack them over the head with the Bible. We need to learn to explain the good news. Because it's good news. God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world. The world stood condemned already. Because they didn't believe in His one and only Son. And they rebelled against the living God. And so we have the antidote. Right? We have the medicine. The medicine of immortality. We need to learn to preach the good news of the gospel in a way that people can understand, in a way that connects with them and their culture. So while Paul never alters the truth, never, he does present it in a gracious way, amen? Just as Jesus was full of grace and truth, so the preaching of the gospel should be full of both. If it doesn't have truth, then it's not the gospel, Right, and if it doesn't have grace then it's not the good news I've talked a lot already about how the gospel is a message of truth let's linger on this idea that the gospel is a message of grace of universally available grace no circumcision required no green card required no special skin color required No person is excluded from the offer of free forgiveness and reconciliation with their creator, which was offered to the world through the one that we pierced. Salvation is a gracious gift of God. Say gift. God so loved the world that we gave to Him. No? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish; they like have an everlasting life. And we say yes, but what if somebody has a past like I have? Right. Anybody in here got a past? I got a past. Amen. Me and Pastor Young, I'm I'm first generation college grad in my family too, and I got a past. Yeah, but what if someone has a past like I have and God says, whoever believes, whoever believes, amen, t'was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear. The hour I first believed. Amen. The gospel is about the amazing grace of God. These people in Athens... They thought religion was all about ritual and sacrifice. They thought it was all about looking fancy and having fancy statues. But the gospel is not about what we bring to God. It's about what God brings to us. He brought us His one and only Son that we might have eternal life. That's the gospel. Listen to what Paul tells the Greeks in verse 24. He says... The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything. Right. Say, God doesn't need anything.
1: God doesn't need anything. Doesn't need anything.
0: Since He Himself gives, say gives, yes. to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, our God is not a taking God. He's a giving God. Amen? We don't have anything He needs. We're just His creatures. He's the Creator. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Even when He commands us to do things, even when He commands us to give things, when He commands us to give tithes and offerings, it's not because He needs it. Our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's for our sake. He doesn't want those things to become idols for us. Amen? Amen that we have belongs to Him. Amen? Amen. And even when we seek Him, Paul talks about seeking God in verse 27. We can't boast when we find Him. Paul says there's no boasting with this gospel. We can't boast when we find Him because He says He's actually not far from any one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. God is available. He's available. People couldn't believe it when Jesus prayed to God. Abba Father. When Jesus called God Daddy, they said there's something not right with that. They said God can't be that available. But Paul says in Him we live and move and have our being." He's not far from anyone. You know God's here right now? You know God is here right now right next to you? Yes, you. I'm talking to you. That's the gracious message of the gospel.
1: Yes, Jesus!
0: But I hope we can see also that it's a message of truth. Amen? My friend Esau McCauley, he's a black New Testament professor in Chicago. And uh, he said whenever people ask him to talk about the topic of racial reconciliation, they always give him Ephesians chapter 2 to preach on. Because Ephesians chapter 2 says that In Jesus, Jesus divided the, Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility that separated Jew from Gentile. Right? So in his flesh, Jesus not only reconciled us to God, so there's not only a vertical reconciliation, there's a horizontal reconciliation of us, man to man. Amen? Amen? And they say, will you preach on this text? And he says, no. He said, I will not start a message on racial reconciliation on that text. He said, I'll start with Genesis chapter 1. He said, Because we're all created by the same God and in the image of God. And that's where you start a message on racial reconciliation. As Apostle Young said, We all have the same daddy. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is the case spiritually as well as naturally. Paul says in verse 26, This creator God. Made from one man every nation of mankind to live over all the face of the earth. So we have two common ancestries, right? We have God, our Father, who created us in His image. And then we all come from the same family. Amen? Amen? Amen. So while it is the case in the Bible that there's such a thing as ethnicity. It's a beautiful thing. Actually, in the book of Revelation... Uh, Apostle Young was talking about how we worship God in different ways. In the book of Revelation, all the nations, every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to bring the glory of their nation to the Lamb who was slain. Amen? And they're going to bring a different offering, but if it's worship, if it's in spirit and in truth, that's what we're going to see. Amen? It's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a glorious thing. So there is such a thing as ethnicity, which has to do with geography and culture and music and even skin color. But in reality, in strict reality, there's only one race. That's the human race. Amen? There's no subhuman species. Not among the elderly or the unborn. There are no three-fifths humans. Amen? There's no people group that Jesus did not die for. This point reminds me of the famous American Quaker and abolitionist John Woolman, who wrote about the unjust treatment of the Native Americans and African slaves in the U.S. in the mid-1700s. Actually, through his efforts, slavery was abolished. I don't know if you know this. Slavery was abolished among the Quakers 90 years before the Civil War. Wow. Wow. In some cases, he convinced the Quakers to pay backlog wages for the work that the slaves had done for them. Amen. That's repentance. That's all that is, right? That's repentance. According to Woolman, who had an accurate doctrine of creation, the prayers of these slaves were precious in the sight of God. And there was a day of reckoning coming for all who did them injustice. Amen. He writes... Many slaves on this continent are oppressed, and their cries have reached the ears of the Most High. Such are the purity and certainty of His judgments, that He cannot be partial in our favor. In infinite love and goodness, He hath opened our understanding from one time to another concerning our duty toward this people, and it is not a time for delay. In other words, Woolman was warning his fellow Englishmen that if it's between listening to their prayers and our prayers, the God of justice is going to come down on their side, and it's going to be on our heads. Uh This is exactly how it went down in the book of Exodus, right? And Woolman understood that injustice is not a left issue. It's not a right issue. It's a biblical issue. If God is the creator of all, he's concerned for all. Amen? Amen. This insight was key to Paul's heart. Because his heart was to seek salvation for every nation under heaven. Amen? Amen. That's That's what moved him to preach the gospel to the people in Athens. See, when our hearts are hard, when we stop caring about the salvation of other people groups... We say, amen, to hell with them. But this is contrary to the doctrine of creation, that God created all people. We have one daddy. And the doctrine of redemption, that Jesus died for all people, without exception. The gospel says we are His offspring. That He took on hell for us in Calvary. Amen? Amen. In a moment I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and I'm going to invite my friend Evangelist Sean Cain up here to say a few words about the gospel to us with, with all our heads bowed and all our eyes closed. And I want us to recall our Savior full of grace and truth just as it was written about Jesus so it should also be true of God's people. We are called to affirm the absolute truth of the gospel. But we're also called to do this with Christ-like grace. Please bow your head and
1: close your eyes. being proclaimed through here with Taylor. She's uh, beautifully summarized it several times in here. And I was sitting here and, and I just thought of, God, what do you want to say to the people in here? And there's two things. Who is the God that you serve and that you've been put here for a purpose? The scripture you all just read says that He's, he's appointed the places where they would be born. Yes. He appointed the places they would be. Who is the God you serve And that you are here for a purpose. Because of the gospel, He's brought us all together of all nations. He's reconciled us all to Himself through the cross. If you come through faith in Jesus, He is bringing every single tribe and tongue together. When we get to heaven, there won't be all these different, I'm different from you, I can't sit with you, there will only be one people group there, and that's the redeemed of the Lord. The redeemed of the Lord will be the only ones that can stand in His presence. Everyone else will fade away. What is the God that you've been serving? Is He the God that created the heavens and the earth? Is He the one that stretched out everything by Himself? Is He an idol that you've made with your own hands? Is He someone that you fashion fashioned, that He bends to your will, or do you bend to His? Is it your will be done, or is it His will be done? Amen. The Bible says that you're here for a purpose. It says that you were. if you're here in Tallahassee, you didn't come here by your own choice. You didn't choose the place you'd be born, the family you'd be born in, the body you'd be born in, the skin tone you'd have. God has appointed the places where they would be. He has committed. Do you realize that the God of all creation trusts you? He has entrusted this moment in history to you. He has entrusted the souls that are right across the street over there to you. I used to buy, buy cocaine right across the street. I used to sell cocaine Jesus, right over here. Jesus. I was raised on the south side, saved on the south side. I gave my life to Jesus right off the Ridge Road, smoking dope with my buddies, pulled over the truck and gave my life to Jesus in a, a rainstorm. I can tell you right now that I have friends that are still selling crack right around the corner, and they have told me, Sean, if somebody will just come and tell me about you, I just want to see that he's real and I'll serve him. Listen, listen, if God will reveal himself to me, I'll follow him. I'll stop selling milk today. I'll stop today. Amen. They're waiting. They're waiting. I've had countless conversations. They say, Thank you share to God. I've never heard the gospel in my life. No one's ever shared with me. I was praying that somebody would share with me and you came to me today. There are people out here that God has entrusted to you. He has entrusted them just to you. And they're waiting. They're out there begging God, if you're real, send somebody. If you're real, send somebody. If you're real, show yourself. And He's entrusted them to you. That's right. The God you served has broken down every dividing wall <laughs> and brought us together as one to go out and win this world yes. for yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes. So I just invite y'all, let's, let's say, a, I'm going to say a prayer of you guys and all of us of repentance and God moving us, okay? Yes. Father, we repent of every area in our lives where we have placed our own will as more important than yours. Yes. As we've made our own priorities higher than your priorities. As we walk past those souls where you've said, talk to them, we went, no, not today. Not today, God. No, I'm going on my way. I've got to go get some food. i got to go do this. I don't have time for that. My show's about to be on in 20 minutes. I'm going to miss that if I talk to this person. God, forgive us. Forgive us for walking past that person who is on their way to an eternal hell and we have not cared enough to tell them the gospel. We have not cared enough about that person to just tell them about the gospel. Our own stuff was more important. Father, forgive us in Jesus' name. Send us out. God, forgive us of any area in our lives where we've said, I can't work with that brother. I can't work with that sister. I can't go to that church. I can't help with that church go do outreach because I don't believe in what they believe. You know, because they like three songs and I like four songs. You know, they don't dress the same as me. I live on a different side of town. They're white. I'm black. I'm black. They're white. They're Hispanic. God forgive us. Send us out to these people. You have placed each and every one of us in Tallahassee for a reason. To reach this city for your glory.
0: Amen.